The gift of prophecy tells us that he's a God who speaks, which, which is exciting, isn't it? It's very exciting. And um, uh, I remember meeting, uh, I spent a, a long time in England, I feel, 15 years, and uh, there was this, I, I pray Matt Kessler ends up like uh, Bishop David Pitches, who, you know, is like really old now and not that you get old, but uh, I remember he, he, wasn't, he doesn't really speak publicly anymore, but I, I saw him last, last summer at a conference, and he said, isn't it so exciting? I was like, well, you know, we're tenting, we're, at this, uh, we're in Somerset, we're tenting, and there's mud everywhere, and it's not there that exciting. But he says, it's so exciting because we have no idea what the Holy Spirit's going to do, but we know he's going to do something. Aren't you excited? And I thought, yeah, that's what I want to be like when I'm... When I, when I grow up, you know. And so for us, one of the big journeys we've walked through is uh, after we were married, uh, Rachel and I have been married for 14 years. After we've been married, I guess, six years, we went to the, uh, after a shocking uh, season um, where her father died of vascular dementia over a period of two years. Um, we went to the doctor to um, talk to the doctor about antidepressants, that kind of thing. And, and the doctor asked us, and, and our question we weren't expecting. Have you ever thought about uh, looking at why you may not have conceived yet? And we said, no, not really. We just kind of, you know, in the Lord's timing. And so we should probably look at that if you've never used contraception. And long story short, uh, I was diagnosed as infertile and um, long journey for us of going through a, a dark valley coming out the other side without any promise of anything, but of just worshiping the Lord in, in the middle of, of, of the darkness and the Lord, um, so, you know, amazingly, we had Ethan. And then we had Thomas. And uh, Thomas was born in 12 minutes on the kitchen floor. That's why I always pray for uh, first responders, because a first responder saved my bacon. Uh, on the speakerphone, talked me through what to do to deliver our son. So I, in Dallas, I frighten all dads, soon-to-be dads, to say, just clean your kitchen. Just clean your kitchen, because you could call the hospital, and they'll say, how far apart are the contractions? And you could have to say, oh, about a minute, and they'll laugh. And they'll say, you're not going to make it. And I'm like, well, what now? It says, call 911. And so that's what I did. And then we were at this conference this summer, and uh, it's so, I find it, it's so strange. I was telling Michael that Rachel and I have this pact. It's mostly me. I kind of bully her into it. But I, when we're at a conference and we're not speaking, I say, no matter what the call is, we're going forward for ministry. So, okay. So um, we're at this conference, and the boys are being looked after, and, and the worship ends just as it does. And this guy give, comes up to give his testimony, and he says, um, you know, I've been, he was a TV personality I'd never heard of. He, he talked about his addiction to sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and pretend to be a Christian at the same time, and said, if any of you have any secret sins you want to unburden yourselves with, come to the front, and I just grabbed Rachel by the hand, and we ran. <laughs> like, what are they hiding? But, you know, we're just hungry, right? Hungry to receive. We didn't have any secret sins. And we started to receive prayer, and this person praying for us off, you know, says, I think the Lord wants to give you another child. And I was like... Okay, here we go. And then I started having this internal dialogue with the Lord, saying, Lord, you know, you've given, given us two children, more than we ever, uh, you know, deserved, asked for. You don't owe me anything. And uh, all of a sudden, um, I hear this, well, what if it's not about you? So, okay, well. 
uh, but Lord, we just figured out how to pay for everything. And says, well, what if I pay for everything? I was like, oh, all right then. You know, let's go. And, and then um, a month later, we discovered that Rachel's, we're, we're expecting. And we're kind of halfway through the, the, the thing. So it's just kind of, it, to me, it's, it's, it's so exciting to get a chance to talk about the giver. And, the, I mean, the, the fruit of the Spirit is all about us. Shock, horror of it all. But, but the gifting is all about him. And that's what I'd like to, to talk a little bit about. But also to encourage um, any of us who are going through a difficult season that um, even in the midst of the darkness, his light shines. And I love it in the Psalms. Even in the darkness, you are light to me. You know, where can I go from your presence? And praying that for some of you this weekend, there's, you know, the clouds part and you just get a, a, a hope breaks in. Um, I, uh, I grew up in um, Atlantic Canada. I was a product of the Canadian church. I wasn't discipled. Uh, I certainly didn't hear about the Holy Spirit except for an eccentric uncle who uh, did crazy things. Uh, led and was really into religion, and uh, I always thought that's kind of strange about him. But uh, and then I went to study theology and arrived at a seminary that was full of raving, charismatic slash charismaniac Anglicans, which I'd never thought could exist. And they were really patient, and they were really amazing. They kept asking me. Some of you've heard me share this. They'd say, "Have you been filled with the power of the Holy Spirit?" And I'd just kind of look at them. I knew enough theology at that point to say, well, I, I believe in Jesus, so I have the Holy Spirit in me, but I don't know if I can fill in the blank. Am I filled with the power of the Holy Spirit? I've never heard that articulated before, and I don't know what that's like. Uh, but I thought, who doesn't want to be powerful? I said, yeah, absolutely. You know, I know. So I you know, started going to these prayer meetings and going forward for prayer, and that's kind of where that crazy streak started. Uh, we're in the heart of Oxford. There's a charismatic church called St. Aldate's. And I'd go morning and evening, go forward for prayer every, every service. And there was one service. And I was just every time go up and uh, ask for prayer. And they were really gracious. Some weren't. Um, <laughs> you've heard of the courtesy drop. I presume you don't do these here. That's where people think that you need to, they need to you know, push you down so that you receive the Holy Spirit. So someone tried that on me. And I was like push them back. <laughs> and I was asked, you know, not to come back next week, just take a break. And I did. And, and you know, I just, but I heard of this thing. So I just started pursuing and there, there's a bit of a pursuit to the gifts, I think. And, um, and anyway, um, with the night, the Sunday before it was filled with the Holy Spirit in the way that they meant, I think uh, there was, it was a Sunday evening service and there was a word of knowledge given. And words of knowledge are different from prophetic words in the sense that uh, a word of knowledge deals in the realm of past to present. And it's diagnostic in nature, so it's past to present. And it really, it's especially used, um, I think, around skeptics, around people who don't believe, or people going through a really difficult season. The Lord gives someone else a word of knowledge, and they share it. And all of a sudden, that person knows that God knows because he's revealed something supernaturally, and it opens up an opportunity to, to witness or to pray for healing. Um, so they gave a word of knowledge. It was for a woman suffering from very severe menstrual cramps. Well, there was only one person who responded that night, and I ran to the front. You know, <laughs> I 
I was just so hungry. I just, I just became so desperate that knowing the state of my own life, that there might be more, more of him available, more of to my experience. And so they kind of laughed at that point. And, uh, and um, yeah. So um, for those of you coming to Winter Conference next week, just be prepared. Some of the, the, the clergy may act strange as they respond to things that may, you might not think are um, natural. People are just hungry. And he's a good God who longs to give good gifts to his children. You know, and if we would give our best to our children, how much more will he give to us, his Holy Spirit? Um, and so what we're going to look at tonight and then tomorrow, if you can come tomorrow and then on Sunday, is try to, trying to rephrase um, the gift of prophecy or the prophetic um, in a way that's more tangible, just because in our culture there's so many people who are, it's just such a mixed bag with prophecy, whether you, you watch uh, you know religious media or not, or you know wherever you've come from. It was what I, what I was surprised by is that when I was filled with the, with the Holy Spirit, the gift that He'd given me was prophecy, or an ability to—I don't even know if it is prophecy—but an ability to hear my Father's voice in a way that I'd never heard before. And then I was surprised by the lack of mature people in England at the time who were really well-versed in it. They just weren't around. I couldn't find them. The ones that I could find, I went and I got as much out of them as I could. People you probably know or heard of. But there's just a lack in the church. And I think that's partly in two, two reasons. One is, one of the big differences, just in case I forget earlier on, I have a theory, which I think is biblical, is that one of the big differences in the Old Testament to the New Testament is that what was in the Old Testament on an individual is now on a body, right? So whereas we had Old Testament, old school prophets, we don't have prophets like that anymore. Instead, we have a church prophetic, right? One body working together as a prophetic presence. Now, some in that are are given the gift to steward it and release others into it. Just like we don't really have apostles like we did, but we have a church apostolic, right? It's kind of, I know it's kind of split in peas, but I think there's a different nuance there. So we try to look for the individual who's going to unlock everything for us, but the Lord wants to work through us in community, not individuals, uh, so much. And, and I think that's a bit of a challenge. But the, and so what I want to talk about is try to frame the prophetic in these th- three simple terms, chat, you know, having a chat. I like the word chat because it's an informal dialogue between friends. You know, Moses, he talked to Moses as he would a friend. You know, and that Jesus makes that available to us. So chat, catch, and pass. We were trying to teach the kids this because I was reminded they don't have a junior Holy Spirit. They have the same Holy Spirit we do. Uh, and, you know, so we're, we're talking about hearing from God. And I said, and we did this exercise with them. I said, okay, who's heard from God? And nothing. Then on the way out, I overheard this child talking to the mom. And his mom said, you know, what, were you, what, what happened in children's church today? He said, well, they tried to teach us how to hear from God, but I heard nothing. But instead, I saw this amazing vision. I saw, you know, and it was like, oh, my goodness. And, you know, children are so impressionable that they can, we can get focused in on the senses and actually miss what the Lord might be trying to 
throw our way. And so catching, to me, is a much more helpful um, idea to work through. And then passing is what do we do with it? <laughs> so we've had a chat with the Lord. We've caught something. Now what? And I, th- and I, I kind of think of my own life veer from crash and burn to once in a while getting it right. You know, sometimes it just goes horribly wrong. I mean, the last, I was telling people, one of the last uh, trips I took on the London Underground, we're headed to a conference with friends, and uh, we were in this one stretch where there are two lines going side by side, heading uh, out towards Heathrow, and then they diverge. And we stood there, and it's really crowded. It's 8 in the morning. There's people everywhere. There's an imam to my right. There's, and then there's this businessman and then there's somebody else next to him. And the whole time on the train, I'm trying not to read, you know, we're just like sardines. The Lord's just, I just kind of, I'm just, the Lord, I just kind of have a sense that, the, uh, I just keep getting the word integrity coming to mind as I look at the businessman. And then as I look at the guy next to him, which I'm not trying to do because you're not ma- meant to make eye contact in public transportation, right? Um, I just hear in the sense the Lord say, no, he's a good friend to his friends. He never counts the cost of what it would be like to be a good friend. They're like, okay, Lord, if it's you, I pray that the train is stalled at the next stop. No stall. And I'm like, okay, Lord, uh, you know, just try not to work up the energy to, to, to pass this along. And then um, finally, it stalls, and it's at the stop we're meant to get off. So all of the staff I'm with get off. And I'm like, I'll be right there. Just give me a second. And I turn to the businessman. And I say, this whole time on the train, <laughs> I've been praying for you. <clears throat> Excuse me. And the Lord says, no, I didn't say that because I wouldn't say it like I just have this sense that the Lord loves you because he sees that you're a man of integrity. Well, this guy, he's like six foot two uh, from Jamaica. He starts to weep, like not even play, like just really loudly cry under the, like, the love of God. And it's like, oh my goodness. You know, it's like realizing that your gun is shooting live ammo, right? So I thought, all right, next guy. And I go, and you, and the guy next to him is kind of looking at him like, what's going on here? And I said, and you, I just have a sense that you're a really good friend to your friends. You don't count the cost. And, and the Lord really loves you for that. And he goes, I don't believe it. I'm like, what? <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, well, I got to go. And as I go to run out of the train, the doors close. And so there I am on this really uncomfortable situation, a man growling next to a man weeping, and the whole train's looking at me. And I'm just dying a hundred deaths, and finally we get to the stop, and I run out, and I'm like, wrong place. I'll take a cab to where I'm going. But So the passing thing is, is to me, is kind of where the Lord laughs a bit. And uh, there's a passage that I find really fascinating um, in Acts. We're going to look at Acts 21, if that's all right, and how it describes prophecy. It's when Paul's on his trip, headed to Jerusalem, and he's on this coastal boat. And they they just never veer. I mean, the Jews didn't really believe in sailing. They just had to do it because it was the most efficient way to travel. Um, Because they believed that the seas were places of chaos, right? And just, you just the Lord made land out of sea, so why go to sea, right? Um, I think was the thinking. And um, Acts 21 has just the most, most incredible uh, thing about it. And um, let me read to us. I've got the NIV. Is that okay? It's also anglicized, so there are extra U's in here, but I won't pronounce them. Um, it's also large print. Here we go. So this is uh, Acts 21. 
After we had torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Cos. The next day we went to Rhodes and from there to Patara. We found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, went on board and set sail. After sighting Cyprus and passing to the south of it, we sailed on to Syria. So it was probably a day's trip between each place named. So it's, it's quite a long trip. Uh, we landed at Tyre, where our ship was to unload its cargo. Finding the disciples there, we stayed with them seven days. This is the interesting bit. Through the Spirit, or other translations say that they discerned in the Spirit that Paul was not to go on to Jerusalem. But when our time was up, we left and continued on our way. All the disciples and their wives and children accompanied us out of the city, and there on the beach we knelt to pray. After saying goodbye to each other, we went aboard the ship, and they returned home. We continued our voyage from, voyage from Tyre and landed to Ptolemais, where we greeted brothers and stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip, the evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Amazing, because that's what, exactly what Joel says. That on the day of, you know, of Pentecost, women will prophesy. You know, the great equalization happens in the spirit of it's not just, it's for all. So they prophesy something. And the translators say it's probably like the previous message, don't go on to Jerusalem. After we'd been there a number of days, verse 10, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, the Holy Spirit says, in this way the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people were uh, there pleaded with Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we, he, we gave up and said, The Lord's will be done. After this, we got ready and went to Jerusalem. Three incidents. Something's happening. You know, they're, they're obviously, they see Paul and they start to pray. They start to seek the Lord. They start to chat you know, in our framework. And it's incredible, isn't it? It's just, just that ability that we can speak to the Lord and that we can actually talk to him about those around us and expect a response. And so they're seeking him. In, the fir- in verse 4 it says, they discerned by the Spirit that he was not to go to Jerusalem. So they're talking to him, they're, 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 they're praying to the Lord, and they discern that something's about to happen. And I think that sometimes we have some stumbling blocks that uh, prevent us sometimes from really entering into that place of prayer. I, I don't know about you, but they're, 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 they're sometimes, like, why would I? You know, maybe a big catastrophe happens, and I think, I don't know if I can pray. I mean, that's, that's normal experience. And uh, I don't know if you've read a book called Dirty Glory by Pete Gregg. I've got a copy here. Uh, just fantastic. Um, been reading it for a long time. Um, he highlights, and I just want to share these, that there are four reasons why sometimes we fail to truly enter into that place of prayer. And I just share them because this is, a stunt, this is something I find I often have to work my way through. Sometimes we... Um, we have to recognize we've got a limited worldview. Sometimes when things happen, we 
easily forget. We can doubt. We can believe <clears throat> um, more strongly in ambulances than angels. We can forget that there's a whole different spiritual economy around us. And we can lose sight of what, um, where the real power is. We can believe more in politicians than you know, the Lord's ability to influence. But the Apostle Paul leaves us no doubt. He says in Ephesians 6, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. You know, that worldview is something that we have to continually reinforce. And that's why community is so important, because on our own, we can't maintain that. We need others around us to help maintain that, that worldview. Uh, or maybe it's a low self, sense of self-esteem or a sense of insignificance. Who am I? How could my prayers affect change? Doubt the authority that Jesus has given us and the power that can be released by saying a simple yes to his will and not to the forces of evil. I've been praying recently just... Um, Something along the lines that happens in Genesis 1 about the Lord bringing order out of chaos and then praying that he would restrain the chaos and bring out the good. I just think that's just kind of, it's not mine, I got it from somebody else, but the idea of the Lord bringing out creative order but also restraining restraining, uh, chaos. I think it's just, to me, that's caught my imagination. The Apostle Paul again says that that God has positioned us alongside Jesus as rulers, as, uh, of this world. Verse 5 of chapter 2 from Ephesians, God has raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms. I mean, that's deep. Well, maybe it's doubts about prayer. It's most common up to me. And it's thinking of that trap of, am I holy enough? Am I righteous enough? Have I, what's, what's the delay since my last, obvious sin, you know. Um, and this is where we have to remind ourselves that it's not about us. Who makes us righteous? Jesus. And James says that the prayer of a righteous person availeth much, that our prayers are powerful and effective. And if Jesus makes us righteous, then he's going to answer our prayer because he knows what it's taken for us to be righteous. It's all of a sudden our influence level just kind of rises, Right? And then lastly, so the first one is a limited worldview, a low self-esteem, uh, doubts about prayer, and then my other favorite, okay, so now what? Practical questions about prayer. So I understand that I can pray. I understand that there's authority. I understand that the prayer of a righteous person, but what do I say? What do I say? Give me the practical pieces. And this is where... Um, it's been so uh, incredible. I remember I had been I was visiting home, and um, I'm from a I'm from the lowest backwater of Canada. Okay, so it's like no one's going to come from there except for a select few. Um, you know, New Brunswick, which is a province next to the state of Maine, has been described by some as you know small population, relatively inbred. Okay, so that's kind of, you know, it's the drive-through province. There's not, you know, Arkansas looks cosmopolitan compared to Maine. You know, all that kind of, uh, I mean, New Brunswick. Um, 
So that's just kind of where I'm from. And so it's a bit, so you go to the bank, and an interaction with a teller is going to at least take you 30 minutes. The business will be done in a minute, but you can't get out of a 30-minute exchange about the weather, yourself, the dog, the neighbor, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so I remember I was at a, I'd been there for two weeks, and I, I flew back to London, where there's none of that. And I was in the coffee shop, and I'd just forgotten the rules of engagement. And I turned next to this person. I said, oh, how are you today? You know, we're waiting in Cafe Nero for our coffee. And she just kind of looked at me and says, fine. And I said, oh, great inside, isn't it? And then I started to realize she's dressed in complete black. You know, she's so gothic. She could be dead, right? So, so, you know, so I said, well, I'm committed now. You know, the line's not moving very quickly. So we started talking, and... I said, so, uh, you know, what, what do you do? He says, oh, I'm a witch. I said, oh, fantastic. <laughs> I said, oh, are you spiritual? He said, yeah, I'm spiritual. You can say that. He says, I said, yeah, tell me more. He says, yeah, you know, starts quoting these books. And, you know, <laughs> like, where is this going to go? And, um, and anyway, I just kind of, all of a sudden, you know, talking to a witch in a coffee shop in London, like, where is this what's going to happen? And then, again, I just had this sense that the Lord just... Show, I said, Lord, I just kind of, I think I said, Lord, what do you think about this? And, and I just had this impression. He said, she's a really good friend. I was like, so I just, I said, you know, you know, just standing here, I think you're a really good friend. And she's like, who told you? And I kind of, kind of shared a little bit more. I said, yeah, you've been really, really sacrificial in your friendships this, this last little while. And it's hurt. And they're not responding. I'm like, where is this coming from? You know, and I knew I was just kind of, I just kind of following a thread. And uh, she's like, "Who put you up to this?" I was like, "No one." I was like, "Oh, well, tell me, what do you believe?" I said, "Oh, I believe in you know a, a creative spirit." I said, "Oh yeah, have you read this, this, this?" No, I haven't read that. I said, "Well, tell me more, what you believe?" Yeah, um, you know, some some people who believe like me call him the father of lights. I thought that was the most spiritually neutral name. But as soon as I mentioned that, there was a power encounter. And it was as if, as soon as I mentioned the name of God, she turned on her heel and walked away as fast as she could. I was like, oh. Well, that was interesting. And uh, reminded me all of a sudden of those points that there's a worldview that's bigger than what we see. There's a spiritual worldview. She wasn't the problem. The problem was the spiritual stuff she'd opened herself up to. Um, I was actually speaking with authority in a folksy kind of way, in a, a, out of place. And there was actually, um, the, the prayers, those, they didn't even feel like prayers, but those questions I was asking the Lord, like, well, what do you think? How do you, how do you see this person? All of a sudden, there, there was like there was real, there was real authority there, and um, there was a power encounter, which um, surprised me. And, um, and and so it's so interesting. So what do we say uh, if you've ever heard or met uh, Bishop Todd Atkinson? He he's a hoot. I know he came down for Matt's um, consecration as a bishop. He growls. <laughs> he starts growling. Mm, mm. And so I said. After a service, he was growling, like, and he's like, you know, eight feet tall. He's got a beard like Moses, eyes of fire, you know, the whole pit. Smells of maple syrup. I was like, Todd, you were growling. He said, yeah, yeah. I said, well, what were you doing? You're growling. 
Oh, when I growl, I'm just saying, what do you think, Lord? What do you think? <clears throat> it's just really interesting. What do you think? And so the chat piece is really kind of, to me, where the interesting thing happens. I remember um, a friend of mine, James Ewens, helped set up the uh, International Justice Missions UK office. And uh, then he had survived cancer. He's one of the city's top divorce lawyers and a Christian, which he felt there was a conflict there. And I said, well, somebody's got to fund the kingdom work, so just make as much money as you can. And he says, well, I don't think it's really satisfying. all right, fair enough. Well, have you thought about something else? And, and I introduced him to um, some guys from here, from IJM, and he went off to be the um, office director in um, Calcutta, I think it is, the city named after the god of death. Yeah, I think that's it. And... Uh, he suddenly started, he was there two years doing a great stuff. Suddenly he got sick again. And so he, the, the doctors couldn't treat him. They flew, he flew back to London, went to the doctor and said, we can't say you've had a relapse of cancer. You have a different type of cancer than you had before. So all of a sudden, you know, he's got a wife at this point, four kids. They're all in India. He's in London. He can't travel. He's being admitted immediately. And he calls me from a graveyard by the church. I'm like, James, what are you doing in the graveyard? He says, just, just, can you meet me here? I said, all right. So I go across to the graveyard and we're talking. I listen to him and I said, well, should we pray, James? He says, yeah. So I know, you know, I'm just put my arm on his shoulder and I just say, you know, the usual words, come Holy Spirit. I'm like, Lord, how do I pray? And the Lord says, I don't want you to pray. Like I didn't hear it, but I just had this sense, I had this sense inside where the idea was praying was not going to cut it. I was like, okay, well, what would you like me to do? Sing. I was like, I'm not going to sing. <laughs> and then honestly, I heard the Lord say, what are you, chicken? <laughs> and I'm like, nobody calls me chicken. Not even, you know, not even the Lord God Almighty. And so I, I was like, we're singing. And um, I start, there's this song that I just learned. This is like 2009. And um, it's a song, I think, out of Redding, California, and it goes, um, higher than the mountains that I face, stronger than the power of the grave. Um, your love never fails. And I start singing this in the graveyard. It's like so weird. Because I just have a natural thermometer against intensity. So intensity makes me want to flee. Uh, but anyway, so there I am singing over James. And I keep open my eyes open, just make sure he's like all right with it and he's fine. I mean, he's facing cancer, so what I'm doing is nothing, right? And then I sing until I really sense something happens. And then I felt like a cedar log, a tree had been struck by lightning. All I can say is like something shattered. And I looked at James, and he looked at me. I said, I think we're done. And he's like, yeah, okay. Now, he had to go through stem cell, um, basically a bone marrow transplant. But I knew from that, there's some, I never told him this because it was, would be passionate, either passionately irresponsible or wrong, that I really felt in my spirit that the, the strength, the, 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 the assignment of death over his life had been broken. But I still went with him and sat with him every, every week when he went for chemo and all that kind of stuff and prayed with him and prayed through it. But there was something about, in that chat piece, um, that when the Lord kind of suggests something, that, that there's an there's a ask to take a baby step 
which often when we're obedient will be either right or we just heard wrongly. And for me, it's been a case of the Lord has led me intentionally, I think, to places where I've died to that desire to be respectable and be willing to be a fool for him in order, you know, uh, for that to happen. So back to our passage in Acts 21. So they've, they've been chatting, they've been praying, and they, they catch something. Now, what's it like to catch? Well, catching, <clears throat> you know, is different if you're playing football, if you're playing rugby, which I played, or baseball, or any other of the, of the games where you're required to catch. There are different ways to catch. And it's the same with the, with, with the prophetic. For some people, it's they hear something. For some people, it's kind of imagery. Usually, it's imagery from their imagination of stuff that they've um, opened themselves up to. So, for example, um, a bunch of people who are in our prayer teams went to see Dunkirk one week. So that Sunday, it was all about all the imagery was about Dunkirk. It was like, you know, that didn't really go well. I mean, they live, but you know, Dunkirk was kind of a fail. You know, anyway. Um, so, you know, usually kind of really whatever's in your imagine on your landscape of imagination is stuff that the Lord can use to, to encourage and to um, give you something that would strengthen the heart of, of, of others. Um, catching can also happen in, in two ways. Um, and this is we're not quite sure uh, what's happening in Acts 21. And I'll present you a theory that I'm not going to go to the cross for. I'm happy to be wrong about, so you theologians in there, just get ready. Um, There's an element, so if words of knowledge, if we go back to the beginning, are from the present, uh, past to the present, deal in fact, prophetic words tend to be from the present to the future and deal in potential. And that's the potential piece is, is the risky piece. So it's present to future and deals in potential. So here's Paul in their three different places, and they're, they're praying, and they're seeking to prophesy, and they're dealing with potential. And, when, and this is where Paul's instructions are so helpful when he says that we only prophesy in part. You know, it's not a science. It's not even an art. It's about giving it your best. And whenever we get inspired by something, it could be from the Lord, it could be from the flesh, or it could be from the demonic. I mean, that's... I mean, I presume, you know. Um, and, and so what we see here at the very base level is what's happening to these people in the, those three locations, whether it's Agabus, the four daughters, or the people in verse 4, is that the flesh is playing a huge role here in, in keeping them from hearing what's actually going to happen. And so they begin to foretell as opposed to foretell. Foretelling is when you predict that something, a future event's going to happen. So if we were in California, we were to foretell there was going to be an earthquake, well, that's just probability. You know, nothing inherently prophetic there. But if you were to sit down, and I've done this with someone, and they were able to foretell the plays in a, in a football game before it was to happen and have, like, incredible accuracy, I'm like, ooh, that's kind of spooky. But he said, well, I just watch football with the Lord and say, what do you think? What's going to happen next? And he, and he would say to the Lord, I think they're going to do this. And the Lord would say, no, they'll do that. And after a while, after doing this for years, he'd kind of get a sense of, and I said, and I said have you ever gone to the betting shops? He was like, no, I didn't feel that would be right. So that's kind of weird, isn't it? Because to me, I, started, I heard that and I thought, well, that sounds a bit like New Agey or, or something else. But with any gift... 
there's, there's gifting, and then you have to add skill onto the gifts to find consistency. We've all heard preachers that have real gifting, but if they blow hot and cold, it means they just don't have, they haven't amassed enough skill yet to be consistent. Same with baseball players. Like, oh man, Texas Rangers, we could talk about the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, we're a mess because we've got talent, but we don't necessarily have the skills. Um, and so, the, so tomorrow we're going to have exercises to start practicing a little bit. Forthtelling is really what I love about forthtelling, which isn't foretelling that an event's going to happen. Forthtelling is at the Pentecost event, when they start to speak in tongues, people in the streets say, we hear them declaring the wonders of the Lord in our own language. And there's a part of forthtelling that is declaring the wonders of the Lord. What is the great wonder of the Lord? It's that he sent his son to die for us that we might be in a relationship with him. That is the most wondrous thing. Now, you might not get a chance with a prophetic word to tell the whole you know, doctrinal statement, but it's, if you think of it like links in a chain, Lord, what, what could I say that would strengthen the heart of the person in front of me? What do you think, Lord? What would strengthen their heart? How could I declare the wonders of the Lord? You know, it's kind of an interesting, it, to me it was just all of a sudden a very fascinating thing. So what happens is, is that in, in Acts 21, they're so caught up with their love for Paul, and they love all that's happening, the churches that are being planted, that they're suddenly fearful for his life. Where Paul's fearless. He has heard beforehand, and we have it in the record, that he knows that he will have to give his life. And having been a murderer of Christians, he's probably okay with it, right? He's probably okay with it. So they, they prophesy that he shouldn't go because he's going to die. And they miss it. Because what the Lord is probably trying to get them to do is to pray for strength for Paul. Because when he goes to Jerusalem, he's going to be thrown in jail. And the Lord's going to use his captivity to inspire the New Testament. I mean, that's an amazing... I mean, obviously it's impossible to give that word now because it's already been written. But imagine the person in front of you is going to be led to captivity, is going to declare the faith in front of Caesar, and is also going to pen most of the New Testament that is going to change civilization forever. And instead they say, don't go to Jerusalem. Fascinating. So it tells us that in the, interp- uh, the um, biblical scholars with this text make the case that prophetic words can be right and falsely interpreted. And that's why, and that all hinges on uh, us, when we give something, we get something, to offer it in a way that they can discount it, or just put it to the side. So when I have a word for someone, I try to give it to two people. I'll have them and a friend next to them so they can talk about it, just in case I'm wrong, right? Or if I've had decaf coffee, you know, it's, it's a mess. Or um, I'll say, does that make sense to you? And if they say no, I said, well, okay, because I think laterally more than I think logically. So for me, if I get something from the Lord, I just have to like look at it from a different point of view and share it that way. And sometimes that makes more sense. So that once you catch it, how do you pass it? And that's kind of the thing. Sometimes I'll just give it and not offer an interpretation. Because I, I can, you know, I can, I can, 
not stop at the right place. So chat, catch, pass. <clears throat> and um, I'm almost finished here. We're going to do some in a bit. Um, the thing about passing, though, what you have to realize is that we are uh, children of the new covenant. So Jesus in Luke chapter 4, this is absolutely essential, verses 18 and 19, he declares, he quotes Isaiah 61, <clears throat> and he puts a um, full stop, a period in where there's, a, well, there, there's meant to be a comma. And he talks about the year of the Lord's favor, and he stops there. And in Isaiah 61, it goes, the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance. And Jesus, in doing that, basically declares that the day of vengeance put on hold till he returns. Therefore, New Testament prophecy is not meant to carry judgment. And if you receive a New Testament uh, a prophecy from someone that's full, full of judgment, that tells you more about the person offering the word than what God is saying. So we did this exercise, we'll do tomorrow, and this won't happen to you, I promise. And we're meant to stand in front of someone, <clears throat> and they're meant to offer you a word of prophecy to encourage you, strengthen your heart. So I'm standing there in front of this guy I don't know, and he, you know, his eyes are closed, so he doesn't know who's in front of him. And he, this is what he says, I have a sense that God sees you like a black hole and you suck the life out of everyone. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> That's not what it's meant to be. <laughs> Fail. <laughs> Another one said, um, I have this friend, Matt and I have this friend, Paul Sorensen, who's a liability. He, um, <laughs> he, found out there was a job going in St. Andrew's Little Rock for the senior pastor. This is before Robert Cook took the position. And he filled an application, submitted my CV, and didn't tell me. And, and like, they wanted to interview me, and they, you know, it was just the most bizarre things. I didn't apply, right? So obviously it didn't work out. But uh, it eventually led us to Dallas. And this lovely, lovely guy, John Schuler. I hope he visits you. He's just wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Um... <laughs> My wife Rachel said, hand on your heart, John, can you see David in the pulpit of St. Andrew's Little Rock? And he's like, he starts to cry, which is never a good sign. Rachel starts to cry, and I'm like, and he says, the image I have is of a fighter jet crash landing on an aircraft carrier, and the whole thing goes down. (laughs) I'm like, what's, anyway. So these words are meant to be encouraging, right? They're meant to be encouraging. They're not meant to be like that. Um, and it's always important when you go to pass something on from the Lord that you take stock uh, of where the person is. We had this amazing chapel service and uh, came out, and there was a, a, a fellow student there who had worked for the Royal Shakespeare um, a theater in, in, in England and had had a word for her in the worship, and I ran right up to her. And, um, and I led, and what I didn't know is that whole week she'd be dealing with the fact that she was never been married, she was in her late 40s, she would never have children. I didn't know that, how would I know that? Um, and I was in probably a stage of my life where I didn't really think about others as much as I do now. And I ran right up to her, I jumped into the word, and <laughs> she backhanded me so hard, like in front of the whole college, because... Um, it was a great, great prophetic word. It was of her in a, a suit of armor with a big sword leading people to Jesus. I mean, it was just, it was awesome. Um, and, but I said, she had done makeup for a, a theater company in Oxford, and they, her nickname had been Mummy of the Stars. And I had, all I got out of my mouth was, 
Alicia, the Lord's giving me a word for you. You're not going to be a mummy. You know, and I went down. And uh, Alistair McGrath was the principal of the college at the time, and he's kind of socially wonderful in many ways, but quirky. And he says, hmm, David, are you all right down there? (laughs) I'm like, clearly not. I've just been decked by a woman, but anyway. So always stop to see where the person is in case, you know, so you don't get hit. So chat, catch, pass. The thing is, uh, we'll tell more stories tomorrow and do some exercise tomorrow. But I think, uh, you know, time is going, get, uh, moving on. I'll share this one story and then we'll do some. I was at a, I was filled with the Spirit March 7th, 2002. Uh, two weeks later, I was at a prayer meeting and um, uh, this guy came up to pray for me. His name's Charlie Cleverly. He started to pray. And as he prayed, this is what he said over me. The Lord is going to hide you in England until it's time for you to go home. And then he's going to fire you like an arrow home. But you must pay attention to the Fletcher. Fletchers put the feathers on the arrows so they fly straight and true. Okay, this is March 17th, 2002. Years go by. It's uh, December 1st, 2013. And uh, we've accepted an offer to move to, um, to Dallas to, to work with Philip at All Saints Dallas. We're meant to be there July 1st, but all the visa stuff was just a mess. And then December 1st, I get a call from a lawyer in the congregation. And he says, hi, is this Dave? I said, yeah, hi, my name's Doug. Uh, I hear you're having immigration trouble. I've got a law firm. We do some work with this. Can I help? Absolutely. All right, let's exchange details and get to work and let you know. So perfect. Um, we've been doubting whether this is the right thing or not. And, um, you know, and anyway, I said, okay, here are my details. Just so I have your details, what are they? Yeah, my name is Doug Fletcher. <laughs> my law firm's called Fletcher and Farley. We're going to get you here by Christmas. Amazing. When I had that word, I've written it down. I didn't know Rachel. We'd not met yet. Um, I was, I'd never thought of Texas. I mean, I knew of Texas. Who doesn't know about John Wayne? Right? <clears throat> but the Lord knew. And the Lord gave me a word in March 2002 that I would need December 1st, 2013. And the Lord knows. Isn't that amazing? And He's a God who speaks. And we know He's a God who speaks because He gives us a gift that enables others to hear from Him. So, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to ask for a volunteer or conscript someone. And this, is, this could be high risk, but just because I've already been praying and I sense the Lord may have given me something for someone, I wonder if, Amanda, you could come up? Is that all right? You never know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So here's the thing. You've got to find your way of doing it. And I always find that the line, if you strip as much uh, jargon out of the language, the easier it gets. So I never say I've got a prophetic word for you, but I would say to Amanda, the Lord's put something on my heart to encourage you with. So you could be a Southern Baptist who doesn't believe in the Holy Spirit or the gifts of the Spirit, and you're game for that, right? That's what we have a lot of in Dallas. They're totally shut down to the things of the Spirit, so you talk to them like that, they're like, oh yeah, okay, sure, what do you have? And then you kind of share and they go for it. Um, and so 
the chatting, I was, I was kind of praying, and I was just praying um, a couple of nights ago, and just kind of, really what I was doing is just praying for my time here, so the drive down uh, tonight, Saturday, Sunday, and just kind of being aware, and the Lord brought your name to mind. So far encouraging, right? But there are many Amandas, and the, uh, any other Amandas here? Yeah, come on up. This could be for you. Never know. Is this all right, Amanda? I mean, I know your sister. <laughs> Any other Amandas? Anybody go by Mandy? Anybody's name start with an A? No. <laughs> See, this is kind of like Catholic bingo, right? So, you know, so I was, I was just chatting with the Lord and said, Lord, and, and the, the sense I had from the Lord was, is that um, he really wanted to bless Amanda. And I was, I was thinking about it, and the image I saw was that um, as I was praying for the Amandas, or Amanda, that um, you're like the spoke of a wheel, and all of the, what's, oh, no, no, not the spoke, but the center of the wheel, what's that called? The hub. The hub. And that there are all these spokes that go out, and that each one represents a friendship. And that you might have different groups of friends, like in different places, that might not naturally mix, but they, they're all kind of connected to you, and the Lord is going to use that. And the words that I had were of Him increasing creativity and business. And how old are you, Amanda? 26. I'm not going to ask. Um, <laughs> young, young. Well, and I had a real sense that um, the reason I asked that is that it's about friendship, and the Lord has a purpose of in this season of friendship and business that's multi generational, and it says working alongside people that are older and younger, but it's about being that hub, and that is, um, and the sense that there's nothing you have to do; it's just who you are. And that being you is going to allow him to just kind of go along each spoke and just encourage people as you go about stuff in the business world. Is that encouraging? Yeah. Is that encouraging? Cool, but not for me. Okay. Well, thank you for being, being willing to come up. Let's, can we say a quick prayer for Amanda? So I know you probably all have been taught how to do this. I've sat in on Matt's class. He's great at it. Um, and here, um, for what we're going to do tonight, um, we're going to pray. We're going to pray for Amanda. Just allow some space for the Lord to speak to her. Right? So when God blesses, his blessing is himself. Right? It's not what he does for us. It's, it's himself. And... Um, in certain cir- in the circumstances we are to uh, to bring about glory for him and encouragement for us. So, do you mind if I put my hand on your shoulder? No. Okay, go for it, Amanda. Lord, we uh, thank you so much for Amanda, and we give you this word. But being the hub, and like there are spokes that go up from a hub to a to a wheel that bring strength to the community. Then this season, you're going to use Amanda as she is herself, working through the woman you've made her to be, 
to just increase your presence in the lives of her friends and colleagues as she goes about in the business world. And so we ask, Lord, that you would send your spirit Lord, I pray that you would show her that what she does during the day isn't just good work, but it strengthens the community behind the scenes. So come, Holy Spirit, well up within her, come upon her. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Great. Thank you, Amanda and Amanda. So, as I was praying, I was trying to listen out to see if the Lord had anything else to say. And often my um, discipline is to not say too much. So um, in Acts 21, um, Philip had daughters who were prophetic. And, you know, the, the, the commentary says, you know, this is a fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel in Joel chapter 2. And of what Peter says, how he explains the Exodus, not the Exodus, the Pentecost event. And so I just had a sense that we should ask um, that if there are any here who would like to be filled, men or women, or to receive the gift of prophecy, um, to pray for that. Uh, is there anyone here who's been asking for the gift? Come on up, join me. Yeah. No, no music just yet. Okay. They don't know what they've signed up for. Yeah, just stand right here. <clears throat> yeah, come on up. So, um, I'm, I'm covering the guys. Oh, come on, Brett. Sweet. So often when we pursue a gift... We, we can think that we need to have our hands laid and ask for an anointing to be given. But it's really interesting that uh, in the New Testament, people aren't really anointed more than once. And, but there is something that something has to happen. And for me, it's like an activation. It's like the lights are just got to be turned on, right? When we came, before we came in here, the power was all here. You know, the lights were ready to roll. We just need someone to turn the switch on. And so usually that requires, in my, my understanding, uh, taking a step out of your comfort zone to be activated, as it were. So what we're going to do is, uh, I'm going to ask the Lord by His Spirit to come and to uh, fill all y'all with a fresh sense of His presence among you, and then ask Him to give you a word for someone out here. All right? And then it could be something like as simple as um, it has to be encouraging, it has to be has followed in the New Testament guidelines, you know, that would never contradict the teachings of Jesus, but something that would encourage and put strength into the heart of someone in the congregation. Now, all of a sudden, some of you might be full of terror. That's okay. Um, you may not have to do it tonight, all right? Because timing's also a thing. But I'd encourage you to do it tonight um, so that we can build on what happens tonight, tomorrow, but no pressure. And then um, for those of you who are kind of on the receiving side of things, I'm just going to, one of the things that I found strange is when 
we invite the Holy Spirit to come. Some people feel things, some people don't. Some people, the Holy Spirit manifests, some don't. Well, what do you do? You know, person four rows down is shaking. Got the hippie hippie shake. Someone else has got, you know, tears going on and you're just sat there. Well, what I just do is I just say thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you to the God who speaks. If you've got something for me, here I am. And for me, that all of a sudden enables me to kind of forget what's going on around me and just focus on him. So I encourage you to do that. So you ready? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for our time together. We ask now that you, who are the God who speaks, would give to everyone up here a word of encouragement that would strengthen the heart of somebody in the chairs. Fall up within them. Come upon them. I would just speak release in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, transportation or a car. Anyone praying for a transportation or a car? Is that no? Fantastic. Would would you go and just pray? This might be something there. And Robert, we just just listen in and just kind of the three of you just pray that in. And if you want to, you can say it up publicly, or you can go to them individually. It's entirely up to y'all. Anyone else got something? Just go ahead and pray. Yeah. Maybe the Lord wants to upgrade you to a better car. It's a joke. Yeah. That's a great word about breakthrough, really. Would you, is it Celia? Martha, would you go and pray? Is that, and then, yeah. That's a great word, isn't it? He's the Lord who sees you. Yeah. Anyone else? Just a note, this exercise can be perfectly designed that based on their personality types, not to work. So it's not really about them. It's more about just giving them a shot and, you know, so there's no pressure. You have all the time you need. God hold, yeah, that's a great word. Does anyone respond to that? Anyone in a waiting season? Waiting time is not wasted time. I heard. Anyone? 
Okay, we'll hold on to that. We'll share that with tomorrow. It might be a good word. Thank you. Anyone else? Going once, going twice. Should we give them a, a thanks for coming up? This is a huge, huge deal. Thank you all very much. If you do have something, do you think it's for someone else, <coughs> feel free to share it. But no need to share it publicly like that. The, um, sometimes it's about learning to um, kind of get a bead on, on what, how the Lord might be speaking to you. So uh, there's that classic Alf illustration of um, someone, a some First Nations person walking down town in New York City and hears a cricket in one of the bushes by the, the Ritz. And he says, I don't hear a cricket. The guy's walking with him. He goes and he gets it out of the tree and shows him. And he says, oh, you just don't have a, an ear that can hear the crickets. Well, watch this. And he throws a coin up into the air and a quarter falls and everybody stops and sees the quarter. So sometimes it's, it's about that. Sometimes the, the, the Lord's way of speaking to us is too familiar. Samuel, when he's called by God, when he's a young boy, only knows the voice of one man, it's Eli. And so when the Lord calls his name, who does he go to? Eli. Sounds like Eli. So, why don't we stand? I've also, no music, and it's not a thing, it's Brimer, he's great. Um, but sometimes we think that we can only do this when everything's going our way, when we have the music playing. And I actually, and, and so we do it without music, just to kind of show that you don't need that. Sometimes it's finding the right kind of way, place for you to hear the Lord. I find it easier to hear God say something for someone outside of church. <clears throat> I just, I, I don't know, maybe it's, the way I'm designed, I find it easier talking to people who don't go to church and getting something for them. It's the way I'm wired. And I'm just trying to find where that is. Well, how's he made you? How's he called you? Where, where, where's that place where he's, he's seeking to, to use that gift? So I'm going to pray. And, um, and Bishop, why don't you come on up? And um, I thought we'd maybe sing for a bit then, then if yeah, anybody... Yeah. Dude, I've been wanting to. That's not, that's not my gift, bro. <laughs> <clears throat> but, but I can. No, I'm teasing. No, no. Right. No, Michael will lead us in singing. Okay. And then we'll just have a time afterwards of just inviting the Holy Spirit to come. And then if you'd like to receive prayer for anything, just come forward and, and, and we'll pray for you and just, just see, see where the Lord leads. Does that sound good? Right. Yeah. Let me pray. Lord, thank you so much for our time together. We pray, Father, that you would stir up your presence in our hearts. Lord, as we turn our eyes back to you, that you would move in power. In Jesus' name, amen.